I'm glad to be here with you guys today, and uh, we are in this series. If I haven't introduced myself yet, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at our church in Riverdale, and so thank you for being here. We're in this new series called Culture Wars, and we're going to be looking through the book of 1 Peter, which is in the New Testament. What is that? <laughs> okay. I thought that there were horns and trumpets blasting outside, and we were going to go, you know. But uh, I, I mean, I, I, I look forward to that day. I really do. But until then, we've got to talk about how to, how to fight or how to win the war of, of culture, okay? Culture is, is something that I guess basically you could describe culture as what a people group believes and how they live and what their worldview is, okay? Inside, inside of Christianity, did you know that we are our own culture? We have our own culture, we have our own worldview, we have our own beliefs, but yet we've, we're, we, because we also are Americans and we, you know, have different values and, and things outside of that, we have all these mixed cultures kind of clashing together and then put the world out there and the media and the politics and all that and you, you put that all together and we're in this huge melting plot of, of what, what is it that I'm supposed to believe? How am I supposed to live as a Christian? And we believe that First Peter is going to deal with a lot of these things. So for the next five weeks, we're going to be walking through each chapter kind of talking about this. Now I have a, a controversial question to you. Do you think that America is a Christian nation? Now, I don't want to start a fight here in the crowd, start like things breaking out or anything, but it's a controversial question, right? Because, you know, in a sense, I mean, if we look back at history and the way things started and began, there's certainly in the wording of our Pledge of Allegiance and the Constitution and all kinds of different things is the word God, right? One nation under God, and, and there were people who, uh, they swear on the Bible in court and take oaths to go into to office and all this type of stuff. And so um, for the longest time, people believe that America is a, a Christian nation. Um, but, but whatever you believe about history, right, there's questionable things. And there were men who, who were sinning and, and doing things wrong, just like they are today, people who claim to be Christian. But what, whatever you believe about the history uh, I think my answer to us today is, is that I don't think that we can say that anymore. And with this statistic from Barna, um, it kind of shows us that from 2000 to 2020, how things are, are changing, right? And things have been changing for the last, you know, uh, millennia, everywhere you go, all in the world. But specifically in America, uh, there's this fight, there's this, this clash of moral values and how we're supposed to live and, and politics and, and, it, and it, it actually swayed, you know, certain decisions that were made and how we lived. And, but as you can see, things are changing rapidly. I know you feel it. I know you're thinking about it in your mind. I, I'll just say the things that you guys are thinking, all right? I know you're thinking about these things. And so we want to have a, a time for us to be able to lead. Now, I'm not going to take sides and, you know, tell us to rise up and, you know, start a revolution or anything, but just telling the truth, like, things are changing. This tells us that uh, the, the number or the percentage of Americans who are practicing Christians 
went from 50% in 09 and it's now down to 31%. And at that time, it's the first time ever in our history that non-Christians spiked up above practicing Christians. Now there's that third line there of non-practicing Christians and I'm not quite sure what that means, honestly. Uh, I don't know what a non-practicing Christian is. I don't really think that you can be a Christian and not practice Christianity. So really, that's just lumped together with more non-believers who say that they believe in Jesus because it was something that they heard about or were born or grew up in. It was a part of the American culture for a long time, but things are shifting and changing. Now, as a result of this, we're going to see changes then in our country. And as a Christian, you're going to it's going to rub up against you. It's going to bother you. You're going to feel pain, and, and you're going to go through trials, and you might feel like you're being persecuted. And that's actually what First Peter is a lot about. Now, I will say that the persecution that they faced in the Bible and the apostles and disciples faced in the Bible is not necessarily what we're facing here in America, but it can and probably will be one day. And so we ought to be prepared for it. But even so, even on a minor level, being the minority and looked at as old-fashioned or weird, you will experience trials. And so um, if you think that America isn't really changing or it's not that close to home, I want to bring up a, a story about Canada. Okay, recently, or it was in uh, the year 2020 when COVID went down and all that th everything was going on. Um, there was a lot of government overreach, and especially in Canada, what happened is, is that they, they stepped into Christian churches and said, you guys can't meet, and then when they finally allowed them to start meeting, they said, you can only meet at 15% capacity, okay? And so there were, there were many, you know, faithful Christian men and women who believe that the Bible says that we're called to gather together weekly, you know, sometimes daily, but we're called to gather together the Bible says, don't neglect meeting together as some do, but as you see the end drawing near, do it more and more, right? Um, and so, but the, the Canadian government says you can only have 15% capacity in your building. Now, this man named James Coates, who was a pastor of, I think it was Grace Life Fellowship, said, no, we ain't doing that. Like, how can you tell me as a pastor that I have to choose which 15% of 600 people that were attending his church? How can you tell me that I've got to somehow choose and play favorites and tell people to go and send people away, how can you tell me that I can only have 15% of the people in my building? Like, you don't have the right to do that, right? And, and the Bible is clear when, when, when government or the world tells us to do things that are contrary to the Bible, we don't have to submit to that. Now, there are areas where we do need to submit, and we're going to get into that into chapter 2 and beyond, but... So what happened is, is this pastor, because he kept holding church, they arrested him, threw him in jail. And then they locked the doors to his church and they put a gate around his church and cops were, were stationed at this church and wouldn't let anybody go, all right? And so uh, we saw a little taste of that and I know that everything that happened in the last couple of years have been like reactionary. We've, we've re reacted to everything. We weren't ready for something like this, but... Um, you know, if it can happen that close to home, home and some of the things that you're already seeing now, just know that we need to be prepared. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is the truth about trials because trials will come if you stand for your faith. And that is what Peter 
is trying to get us to know, right? And if you know anything about Peter, Peter is the guy who failed multiple times when he walked with Jesus. He, he denied Christ three times, but after Peter saw Jesus rise from the dead, he changed completely. This changed his faith. It changed his whole direction and path in life. And he was willing to go and die for the faith and stand up for truth. And this letter is, is him um, encouraging Christians, look, I, I've been weak before. I've given in before. I've suffered trials before. And you are going to suffer trials. But hold on, because the Lord it loves you. He's, he's already saved you. He's got a place for you. And so let's go ahead and start reading 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we have free Bibles at the welcome table, boxes of free Bibles uh, of the NLT translation of the Bible, or you can pull it up on your phone. 1 Peter 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Now, real quick, I underlined that word foreigners. In other translations, it says aliens, sojourners. And basically what he's saying is, is that people in these different regions, they are aliens in a foreign land, not illegal aliens. They are literally exiles. They're foreign to because their cultures and customs are different. God calls us to live set apart, to follow after him, but they're living out there in the world where the world's cultures are impressing upon them. They're facing persecution. They're facing trial, and he's, he's encouraging them with this. You guys are aliens and foreigners, I know that. But just know that long ago, God chose you and made you holy by his spirit. God is protecting you. It goes on. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. He's saying, look, I saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead and you believe the same thing. And so look, whatever we're going through as aliens and foreigner, foreigners in a, in, a, in a land that is not our home, as temporary residents on this earth, as temporary residents, we have a priceless inheritance for us waiting for us in our permanent home, our eternal home. Again, he's building them up because he's about to tell them the bad news, okay? And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. That's where he comes to the, the fruition of what he was trying to say, is look, God chose you. You've got an inheritance. God is keeping you by his power. He's going to protect you. Things are going to get scary. You're going to be tested. There's a joy ahead. Eternity is so much bigger than this tiny little dot of human life that we have here on earth. So there's going to be joy ahead, even though you're going to suffer trials. That's my first point. I got five things about trials here today, and I'm going to have to move quickly. The first is this. Trials are inevitable, okay? 
as a Christian, or as just a person in the broken world full of sin, trials and sorrows are going to be a part of our lives, and we're going to have to accept that. Jesus tells us that. He tells his disciples that. He says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, a lot of us hate conflict, right? I think there's kind of two different camps of people, and there's one weird one and one normal one. And the normal crowd doesn't really like conflict, and then there's the weird crowd of people like myself who love conflict and run into it, right? And oftentimes people like me are annoying and, and bother people and rub people the wrong way, but this, these verses, when I read the Bible, it, it further confirms my convictions about needing to deal with conflict, okay? Like, in our lives, we want to have everything perfect, and when things are uncomfortable, we, we're like, well, since this is uncomfortable, this must mean that God wants us to make a change, this must mean that God wants me to find another church because at the church that I'm at there, you know, uh, things are going wrong. Some relationships have been broken. I, I don't like what the guy from the stage, stage says sometimes. And, you know, the worship is this or that or whatever. And so because there's conflict in my mind and in my heart or even in my marriage or in my family, something has to change, Right? But the reality is, is that Jesus tells us that, look, you're going to have trials. And, and the, really, the way to overcome all of that is grace that he modeled, forgiveness. For grace and forgiveness is how we overcome the world, because that's what he says. Be, behold, I have overcome the world. Take heart. And you're going to overcome the world by not letting the culture seep into your heart and your mind. And you're going to let things go. You're going to forgive, but you're going to stand on truth. And when you do that... There will be trials and sorrow. Again, but you're in good company because God who became a man who walked this earth faced many trials and sorrows. And when we go through those same things that he's going through, we are just like him, right? So don't think that, you know, he came to make our, our life the best life now, right? He came to give you the best life now, health, wealth, and prosperity. That is not the truth. And if you listen to people online or preachers online or people that say that or you read books that say that, please burn them and throw them away. The books, not the people, okay? <laughs> Just turn off YouTube or find, find a better preacher or something. Peter ends the letter. I'm going to skip to chapter 5. He says, stand firm against him. Now he's talking about someone. Who do you think he's talking about? Anybody? Satan, Okay. In, in chapters 4 and 5, he talks about the devil, the one who actually really does have influence and authority in the world. He's called the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. And because we have an enemy as Christians, we're going to face trials. And he says this, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, remember, trials are inevitable. He will restore, support, strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. We have to accept as Christians that trials are going to be a part of our lives. And our family of believers are going through the same things that we are going through all over the world. And might I add that we have it really good here in America. 
compared to North Korea, compared to, you know, different Afghanistan where Christianity is illegal and they're being hunted down, but they are still meeting. They're still gathering together and they're hiding and they're reading little pages of scripture because it's illegal to import Bibles into these countries. Let me just say that the sufferings that are happening to our brothers and sisters all over the world are nothing compared to the things that we, well, what, we can't compare what we're going through with what they're going through, all right? So this should help us to have further motivation to be bold, further motivation to follow the Lord, and further motivation to accept that just trials are inevitable because trials then test your faith. He goes on in 1 Peter 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world, right? And through that test, when you pass the test of trials, he goes on in 8 and 9, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. There's that, that word again, joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation for your souls. There's a call for Christians to endure. There's a call for Christians to endure trials. Jesus says it in the book of Revelation, those who endure to the end will be saved. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, stand firm. Set your face like flint with determination, ready to be struck so that it starts a fire, right? That's what flint is meant to, to be rubbed together, right? Be that strong. And yes, there will be clash and there will be things that happen, but there is a reward for continuing. There is a reward for enduring. But this takes preparation. He goes on in verse 13, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Again, put all your hope, going back to the first part of the chapter, that God saved us, he washed us clean, he's made us holy, we have an inheritance, he's keeping our faith by his power. We have nothing to worry about because God is in control. That's basically what he's saying. Put all your hope in that grace of salvation that you have when you trusted in Jesus. But prepare your mind. How do you prepare your mind? And then the other word for exercise, self-control, another translation says, think sober-minded. Have a clear mind. Be able to think critically. Don't, don't be putting things into your mind, including alcohol, drugs, substances that are going to fog your mind. But even beyond that, don't let other things, thoughts, and, and teachers, and, and worldly ideas and philosophies come into your mind. Keep your head clear. Exercise self-control in that area. It takes preparation. How do we prepare First, Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you renew your mind, you can test and discern what is the will of God. How do we renew our minds? Through the word of God. This is God's mind written on pages so that we can take his mind, insert it in our mind, and let his thoughts be our thoughts. Let his ways be our ways. We let the Spirit of God come into us, and then we learn the Word of God. 
so that our minds can be changed. That's the word uh, for repentance. If you've ever heard that word repentance before, the word uh, in Greek is metanoia. All right? And so meta means change, like metamorphosis, and noia means mind, like paranoia, right? So metanoia means to change your mind, renew your mind. When you're going to follow the Lord, you want to get rid of the thoughts out of your mind and, and, and replace them with God's thoughts. How do we do that? In Peter's second letter, he tells us what's important. He says this about the Bible. He says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's saying, Be prepared with the word of God and know that the word of God is not something that was just made up. God wrote this in his very self. Now he's using men carried along by the Holy Spirit, and so their stories come out and their personalities come out, but the Bible is sufficient and efficient and it is perfect. It, is, it is, does not need to be added to or taken away from. It's not some 3,000-year-old book that has old-fashioned morals and values that we need to throw out the window like the culture says. No, here's what's, what Paul says to his young protege, Timothy, all scripture is God, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How are we going to be prepared for trials we're going to be equipped by the word of God to know what the word says. So thankfully, yes, you know, we have a portion of time on our Sunday mornings where we open the Bible and we talk about the Bible. But hopefully that's not all that we're getting, right? If, if, if 30 minutes a week is all we get of the scriptures, think about all the other things that we get in our lives all day long. Other people's opinions, ideas, right? The news, uh, our friends at work, their opinion about life, right? We need to let God renew our minds and get the old ways of thinking out of our minds. I love this verse here, 1 Corinthians 2.14. I'm going to skip down to the bottom. It says, did you know that we have the mind of Christ? Christians do. The context of this is this. Like, this is why people don't understand Christians and they think that we're weird and we think we're following this book. Let me tell you, it's not just an intellectual thing, it's a spiritual thing. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things. We have the mind of Christ. People don't understand some of our ways because they don't match up with the ways of the world. It's foreign to them. Therefore, we're called foreigners and aliens. But we have the mind of Christ. And so what does that mean? Anytime a thought comes up, Anytime a teaching or a philosophy comes up, anytime an influencer on YouTube or social media comes up, anytime a politician on the news says something, do we automatically just run and believe everything that's said? No, we have a mind of Christ. We can discern things. We can think critically about things. We need to sit down and think and not react. We need to worship God with our mind, right? 
Not just throw, people think that faith is, is getting rid of your mind, like there's no logic to faith, like there's no logic to the historical truth of the Bible. People think that believing means you got to turn your brain off, and this is saying absolutely the opposite. Use your mind, turn your brain on, but let it be renewed by the Word of God and where truth comes from, and that's through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God. We have the mind of Christ. And when we do that, we can stand temptation. We can be prepared. Because there is always a temptation to be lured backward then when life gets hard. When things get hard, when everybody around us is doing that thing that we know we shouldn't do, but it's too hard and and we start to think, well, does the Bible really say, you remember Satan said that? Does the Bible really say that you shouldn't do this or that this is a sin or that that is a sin? Or I want to I wanna go back to my old ways because at least I wasn't being persecuted or made fun of. At least I had friends. At least I had things to do. At least I had fun, right? Trials aren't always fun. But when I give in to things, we think that's fun sometimes. First Peter goes on to talk about how this can be the case. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't don't go back to the old way when your mind wasn't renewed. Don't become stupider again, okay? Don't get rid of your mind. Keep using your mind to grow closer and closer to the Lord. Find out what the word says. Don't fall into your old ways of living. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He's addressing a church, a sinful church. They're all falling back into their old ways. And he's saying, no, don't do that. Don't you know that this isn't how the people of God are supposed to act? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, or who commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or are greedy, or are greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive. That word for abusive, by the way, is reviler, and that means abusive language. How many people as Christians, men out there, do you, do you, are there guys that you love to listen to that just have foul language? when they're talking about things on their podcasts, right? And I'm not part of cancel culture, but at the same time, Christians, we are not like the rest of the world. I think Christian men have it confused sometimes that we're supposed to be, you know, uh, manly and rough and rugged, and so sometimes it causes us to fall into, again, this culture that all the other guys are doing out there, right? All the other guys are listening, uh, listening to and talking about. People who cheat people, the word for that is swindler. This is, this is uh, a salesman. Have you ever heard, not all salesmen are evil, by the way, just so you know. They're a good salesman, right? But have you ever heard, this is highway robbery, probably when you were buying a car or something, right? Like, there are people out there that purposely are ripping people off for their own gain, And Christians are doing this, right? Christians are making excuses for all these things on this list. And have you ever heard 
um, someone say about the Christian church? Doesn't it seem like the Christian church is so full of hypocrites? They say all this stuff and then they fall back into it, right? They, they think that they could live like hell and trust in Jesus in one moment get to heaven. Like, how is that fair? Well, that's really the truth. <laughs> I mean, let me clarify that. But the reality is, is that we all have struggled. I myself, things on this list, a lot of these things on this list. I come from a place where I committed a lot of sin, all right? And, but I know that God doesn't want me to live that way anymore. But you know what? If God didn't save people like this and convert people like this, who would be here, right? Who would be here? He who is without sin cast the first stone, please. He's talking to Christians saying, you know what? You do fall back and you do struggle and there are temptations that you have. You need to be prepared because you don't wanna fall back into sin because you know what? The scary thing is, is this, is if you are a person who practices these things, then your faith might not be genuine at all. If you are making justifications for things like this and saying, but God loves me, he wants me to be happy, right? Love is love, right? And by the way, I'll tell you a quick story again about James Coates in Canada, that pastor who got arrested. Recently, he's been protesting this bill and a lot of, prote- a lot of pastors are protesting a bill in Canada where they, they're saying that it is illegal to try to convert um, people from the LGBT community. Uh, now, the bill talks about uh, conversion therapy. There's some extreme conversion therapies, but it is so vague that a lot of pastors are very nervous that what they're trying to say is, in this bill that got passed, that it's going to be illegal now to try to share the gospel because in it, it includes religion, to try to share the gospel, to try to change a person's mind, it'll be illegal and you can be thrown in jail and people are, they're protesting this, right? It's close to home. But if we can't convert sinners, then what are we doing? This is our job. This is why the church exists. We were all once like this because Paul goes on to say, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. We were all like that. We need to be converted. We need to hear the truth. We need to hear the gospel. And as Christians, we need to stand for truth. We need to stand and, and, and just be bold and courageous, not rude either. Being humble, knowing that we were just like that, and we still struggle with things like that. But here's what Peter goes on to say. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God chose you as holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. There's a call to live holy. What does holy mean? It means to be set apart not to make excuses for for people out there in the world. It means to be set apart, not to be like them, and not to condone or approve of those things. Now, again, I'm not saying that this means that we have to rise up and be rude and, and, and speak to people. Again, with humility, we need to love people and share the gospel with people. 
That's what the Bible says to do. We all have sins that we struggle with. My last point then is this. As we deal with the trials of standing for our faith that are coming for us as Christians, we need to know that they're only temporary. 1 Peter 1.17, he says, And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as temporary residents. I know it's hard to not get caught up in these movements in culture, right? But you know what the Bible says? It says, a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Trying to look around at what everybody's doing in, this, in, in a non-believing culture and say, you know what? They don't believe in God, but what they're standing for is great, so I'm going to go stand with them, right? And did you know that Satan uses things that have partial truth in them that are scattered with lie, right, to try to pull us away and deceive us? Again, we've got to think critically. We have, we've got to have the mind of Christ, and we've got to live as temporary residents, knowing that this is not our home. We're not, we're not fighting to pre- preserve something because... The Bible says this, this world's going to burn with fire one day and it's going to be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. This isn't our home. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited. <laughs> Think about that. Before you became a believer, you had an empty life. And your parents, if they didn't have faith, had an empty life. And everyone who doesn't have faith in the Lord... I. I'm just going to say it's an empty life because it's not living after truth. It's not living for the Lord. It's, it's, there's no hope. The, this world is all that there is. That is empty. There is no hope in that. There is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says you were, you were paid, your, your uh, ransom was paid by the sinless Spotless blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Christ, which we celebrated in communion. My last verse, 1 Peter 23. For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever, because it comes from the eternal living word of God. You know how if, if, if our faith was wrong, and this was all that there is, you know, um, we would be fools, Right? To try to deny ourselves pleasure and fun and all these things that we can do and get involved in and get accepted by all these people, we would be fools if this, if this was all there is, like eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, let's live it up. But he says, no, this life that I've given you is eternal life. It's not going to quickly end. There's a lot you have to look forward to. So live for that. Will we stand with God or with our culture? That's the question. If you have, you know, things that pop up you and pop up in you during this because of this message, please come forward. I would love to talk to you about that. If you have any questions, I'm sure there's people with the name tag out at the welcome table. Just our overseers, they'd love to pray with you and to talk to you about any questions that you might have. Don't leave here, you know, confused. We want you to have clarity right? So please talk to us.
And if you're here today and you haven't made that decision to trust in Jesus for that eternal hope, I encourage you to do that today. You never know how long we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Help us, Lord, as aliens, as sojourners, as exiles in a foreign land. Help us to remember this is temporary. This is not our home. Let us evaluate our priorities in life. Um, give us the power to follow you and to live new. Help us to know your word. Help us to connect with people in your church so that we can understand the culture in which you want us to live and help us to have discerning minds. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you draw people close to you who are far from you today. In Jesus' name, amen.